0: Hello, and welcome to On the Same Wavelength, where we explore how we can make a better world for people living with complex mental health issues. I'm your host, Elise, and in this episode, we're focusing on educational settings. Maybe you're a young person going through high school, university, or other education or training, or maybe you're reflecting back on your past experiences. It might be an exciting time, but often there's a lot going on. Whether it's a high workload, pressure to get certain grades... Friendship groups changing, moving from a family home to independent living, financial issues, juggling responsibilities. It's easy to feel overwhelmed. Plus, a lot of mental health issues might emerge for the first time when someone is a teenager or a young adult, sometimes in response to these stressful situations. Last episode, I mentioned the National Stigma Report Card, which surveyed nearly 2,000 Australians who have lived experience of complex mental health issues. This study found that over 60% of participants reported experiencing some level of stigma or discrimination through education or training during the last year. So why does this happen? And what does it look like? And how can we make things better? In this episode, we'll be meeting Jeanette, who will be sharing her lived experience story. I also chat with Vivian Brown from Origin, the National Centre of Excellence in Youth Mental Health, about work being done to improve how universities respond to students' mental health needs. Just a quick note, this episode touches on topics including panic attacks and anxiety, suicidal ideation, eating disorders, and the intersections between mental health and culture. And like all our episodes, we talk about stigma and discrimination. So please only listen today if it feels right for you. My name is Jeanette. I'm 23. I live here on Wurundjeri country in Melbourne. Jeanette's a peer ambassador at SAIN. She works in agriculture policy and programming. She studied economics and management at university and loves being creative in her spare time. She also identifies as a migrant. She was born in Singapore and moved to Melbourne when she was 15. My extended family actually lives here in Melbourne, so growing
1: up uh, we would spend some of our Christmases here, so it kind of felt very natural, but strange straddling two different worlds because uh, the culture that you identify with, uh, it can be, you don't feel like you identify
0: fully with each one, uh, but you sit with both. Jeanette was young when she first started experiencing mental ill health. She told me about the first time she had a panic attack, around age 13, a feeling of sheer terror that seemed to come out of nowhere. And
1: I remember being alone in my bedroom, and I was a first aid cadet, so I knew how to help someone uh, who was experiencing hyperventilation. So I kind of thought that was it. Um, But I remember being alone in my room and just like trying to help myself calm down, but thinking
0: to myself, there's something else that's happening here, but I don't know what. Jeanette's anxiety continued and escalated in the years that followed. She didn't understand what it was. To her, it was normal. Toward the end of school, a high-pressure time, she was experiencing panic attacks nearly every day. Adding to that stress, her father was in an accident where he was hit by a car. He was in hospital um, for a while. And so
1: I remember getting the call uh, when I was in school, like... Well, actually, it wasn't a call. He sent a WhatsApp phone, like text message to our extended family group chat of him in an ambulance. So I'm calling St. Vincent's being like, where is my father? My mum had just left the country and I was alone with my sister at school. His recovery was kind of happening in the background during year 12. And um, I had all this anxiety um, and there was a lot of pressure in school to
0: perform. This meant Jeanette found it really difficult to engage in school, to focus and stay on top of her work, and her teachers began to notice.
1: A teacher had took it upon herself to call my dad and said, kind of blew it out of proportion, really. Your daughter hasn't done any of the things that she's supposed to do. None of it is on time. And my dad's, like, you know, struggling at home, you know, trying to take care of us. And he, like, doesn't really know what to do with that information, so he kind of got angry. Um, And his way of trying to help the situation was, you know, tell me, like, do your work, have you done it, have you done this? And so, like, this added pressure um, at home. And then so when I went to school, there was also this pressure from that teacher, like I was being shamed in class, I was being picked on in front of other people. She'd even, like, after our class, she would get the next class to wait outside And she would, like, make me stand there in front of her while she, like, told me off for a good second, like, for a few minutes before, like, she let me leave and the next class
0: could come in. Jeanette's teacher spoke to some of the other teachers at school, and then she started being called out in other classes, including by teachers she'd had a good relationship with in the past. She felt like she was being shamed from all angles. And it was really hard
1: because... If I'm just like trying to survive and deal with everything that's going on in my life and then I don't feel like I have a safe space in school or at home, it, it was
0: incredibly difficult. And none of this exactly helped reduce Jeanette's anxiety or helped her get her schoolwork done. It's one of the things that was really hard was I had
1: uh, experienced panic attacks in school, obviously absolutely mortified that that happened in public. Um, and I just remember like crying constantly, uh crying profusely that day and I was in my uh, year-level coordinator's office and she had handed me tissues, but that was kind of it. Hadn't asked sort of like what was happening, uh, why I was struggling. I just felt like my teachers didn't really take an interest or bother to ask what was going on. There wasn't a really good sort of like mental health literacy at school. I certainly don't think it was something that we talked about at
0: all, certainly in school here and then in school when I was growing up in Singapore too. In terms of options for getting help, there was a school counsellor at Jeanette's school, but there was a perception that going to the counsellor was, well. You'd never want to end up with a
1: school counsellor. So yeah, it was a bad thing. It was like something you didn't want to do. It wasn't an enjoyable experience or a positive experience. At least wasn't portrayed as one. And so you would kind of, there was a sense of like you would tell, you would say what you needed to say so
0: you would avoid going to the school counsellor. Jeanette's anxiety made it difficult to get through Year 12. She had to work hard to focus and concentrate and struggled with memory and doing assigned work, all while not feeling supported or understood by the school. I asked about special consideration, but what was provided was pretty limited. Only in relation to
1: my dad's accident, but not in general, because I don't think I knew that it was available to me or that it was even an option or that what I was experiencing was valid enough to warrant It it kind of feels like an excuse, quote unquote excuse, when I was in school. Uh, Like it's not a valid, it didn't feel like it was a valid reason. It just kind of felt like this is me, this is normal. So this is me not trying hard enough. It was like, yeah, the product of individual responsibility, not like anything else that might sit behind that. I just wish someone had taken an interest and I wished we talked about it. It's like, I just genuinely don't remember any conversations about it. Maybe we did, maybe earlier on. But um, from the time I was in school, at least
0: here in Melbourne, from year 10 to 12, nothing. Despite her hardships, Jeanette finished year 12 and went on to study at university. Navigating the transition from high school to uni and the intense amount of work was extremely hard. My time at
1: university was incredibly challenging. Yeah, it was worse than high school. Yeah, I experienced my first depressive episode, and then a few following that, um, I was on antidepressants for the first time um, and experienced the side effects that came with that. Um, I had suicidal ideation, that was really hard. Um, You know, my eating disorder wasn't great. Like when I first got developed depression I thought it was just really intense anxiety because I didn't know what depression was like and then experiencing like just how numbing and just awful being depressed is and then multiple times while going through uni and navigating like this transition from high school to uni all the work, like, uh, intense amount of work that's associated with that stuff and then engaging
0: with other people, that was so hard. Still, compared to high school, it was a different environment. Towards the end of uni, with push from her psychologist, she began to realise that she needed support. I only found disability
1: services, like, in my second last or last year of uni because I'd only just begun to like identify as a person with a disability and mental health but to get to a point where you uh, can ask for help in the first place is so difficult feeling like you deserve that help that you can ask for that help and then when you ask for it how much are you asking for what is reasonable to ask I remember just like agonising about those questions for a really long time. and I remember my conversations with disability services was one phone call on, uh, like when I was doing my plan for the first time. And then after that, it was just a plan online afterwards. So no sort of like further conversations about
0: the kind of support I needed. Reflecting back, she wished that there had been more to this interaction than a once-off call and her online plan. I don't think you know that you can Ask for help,
1: and those conversations with disability services would have been such a
0: wonderful opportunity to have had those discussions. Not everyone who experiences mental ill health identifies as a person with a disability, but over time, Jeanette felt that this resonated with her. My mental health issues were complex. I was learning
1: to understand, I was beginning to understand how. Much of an impact it had had on my life, like truly impacted every facet of my life. And so I was like, oh, this is like objectively a lot. Yes, I identify as a person with a disability.
0: When putting this episode together, I was thinking about the responsibilities of high schools and universities to support students who are experiencing mental ill health. Schools and universities throughout Australia really differ a lot in terms of the level of support and how much prevention, awareness or educational activity they provide around mental health to students and educators.
2: My name is Vivian Brown. I'm the Associate Director of Government Relations and Policy at Origin, which is the National Centre of Excellence in Youth Mental Health.
0: Origin is a leading research and knowledge translation organisation, focusing specifically on young people. As part of her role, Vivian is
2: very aware
0: of some of the ways that stigma and discrimination rear their heads in educational settings and the
2: potential long-term impacts. And it can actually be incredibly detrimental then in terms of um, not seeking support for their mental health um, and can often mean that they may not achieve academically the way that they would want to and and then some students might then as a result of that either leave education um, or depart that educational pathway early.
0: The Origin Policy team released a report in 2017 called Under the Radar. This report looked at the mental health and well-being of Australian university students.
2: And what we'd actually found early on in that report was probably um, that the issue, as per the title, had been flying under the radar for for quite a while. The
0: key recommendation from the report was that there was a need for nationally consistent guidance in Australia. This led to the development of the University Mental Health Framework. It took a couple of years with a lot of consultation with key stakeholders, including students and university staff. The framework encourages universities to have a clear strategy and implementation plan. It also has a set of key principles.
2: The first principle, principle one, really puts the student at the centre of this framework and I guess clearly articulates that the student experience is enhanced through mental health and wellbeing approaches that are informed by their own needs by their perspectives and the realities of their experiences.
0: Other principles speak to how mental health and well-being should be seen as a shared responsibility, not just a responsibility of the individual student. Universities are encouraged to really emphasise mentally healthy communities, ones that are inclusive and support students. It's also important to avoid unnecessary pressures on students. For example, avoiding having assignments due at the same time, something that students dread, even if they're not struggling with their mental health. Plus, of course, universities need the right supports in place.
2: The more that mental health and wellbeing can be seen as a responsibility and in the remit of everyone in the university, the more we were able to, I guess, address stigma and not sort of have it siloed off into just being the responsibility of a, a counselling service on, on campus to deal with when students are struggling, that everyone's got a role to play here.
0: I asked Vivian about how universities can support students who are experiencing more complex or severe mental health issues, whether students are entering universities who have existing mental health issues, such as Jeanette, or who might be experiencing mental health issues for the first time. Again, a whole-of-university approach is needed, including good mental health knowledge and training. In some instances, this might mean linking with supportive services outside of the uni.
2: And it's about connecting into services in the community, which, yeah, unfortunately is, you know, easy to say, but um, in reality, it's, it can be really hard to achieve. But it's about where there's some good relationships already between community-based mental health services and the counselling services.
0: Guidelines like these can hopefully help universities develop strategies that can make a real difference for students like Jeanette. Although it's not compulsory, many universities are already releasing strategies that reference the framework. Despite having a more positive experience at university, Jeanette's experiences have led her to be aware of the risks of talking about her mental health, not just in educational settings, but more broadly, because people can react pretty badly. Every time before, you know, you tell someone, particularly
1: every time I've been in a new workplace or a new team, there's always this, like, overwhelming sense of fear, like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how they're going to take it. Are they going to... React poorly like the first time, because um, that's going to make my experience here really awful. Yeah, it really does feel like a coming out, and I am coming out too as yeah. as queer, which is new the last few months. So I absolutely does feel like a coming out. the um, the level of sort of like fear um, that you experience, the apprehension, the the like almost like sense of rejection you're already feeling. Um, definitely feel similar.
0: Jeanette reflected on her overall experience at high school and university.
1: I think the the thread for me through my experiences in high school and uni has been the onus is always on the individual. Um, and learning how to advocate for yourself and ask for help has been a huge journey of like learning that that's something that you can do and then figuring out how to do it and then figuring out what you actually need and then like overcoming all the barriers to communicating that to somebody else and then getting the support that you need. And
0: now Jeanette is feeling more comfortable advocating for herself and more comfortable being in her own skin too. So it's been this really huge journey from like
1: not being able to talk about mental health at all and not knowing it was this thing uh, and like feeling really shameful about it to like getting comfortable seeking help to be in a place where I can ask for what I need figuring out what I need it's okay that your needs change your needs always change and then feel comfortable like communicating that with other people that sense of uh, safety is so underrated and has made such a big difference to me feeling comfortable to express who I am fully and now like today I'm here with like purple bluish hair I've got like a pink top and bright red corduroy pants it's so weird like I I I look at my closet now and I'm so happy and I think to uh, like think back a few years ago my entire closet was black maybe like a few textures of black but like black and dark colors and um, the joy that I experience in my life now is so incredible like I remember having a moment a few years ago where I was like oh my god like I'd come out the other side after sort of like depression and suicidal ideation I just remember having a moment
0: and I was like looking at my closet and I was like oh my god I want to live in terms of what she would like listeners to take away from her story Jeanette had some important reminders for students with lived experience if you have struggled with your
1: mental health or you're experiencing mental health issues uh, the strength and the tenacity that you have to get through each and every day just to survive will get you to where you want to be eventually. Uh, I truly think that's the case for me because uh, getting through every single day, like just surviving, I'm slowly getting to a place where I'm
0: thriving. I never thought I'd be here. We know that a lot of students are doing their best, but are still struggling. One thing that struck me about Jeanette's story is that many different people in schools and universities have a responsibility to foster a safe environment, one that is set up to help people who might be struggling with their mental health. We don't have to be experts to respond in a way that is respectful, thoughtful and helpful. Some of the stuff I
1: hope a lot of people don't get to experience. They're incredibly trying times and they're so difficult to get through. They have such an impact on you, but also the people around you. And the thing is, you don't have to understand to be compassionate.
0: On the same wavelength is a collaboration between the University of Melbourne School of Psychological Sciences and SANE, Australia's leading national mental health organisation for people with complex mental health needs, with the support of the Paul Ramsey Foundation. It's hosted by me, Elise Carot, and edited by Chris Hatzis. Special thanks to SANE Peer Ambassador Jeanette and Vivian Brown from Origin for their contributions to this episode. If you're interested in learning more about the University Mental Health Framework, I've included a link in the show notes. This podcast was recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri Woi people of the Kulin Nation, and we wish to pay respects to Elders past and present and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners. If this podcast has brought up any challenging feelings for you, please consider reaching out to SANE's free counselling support via 1800 187 263 or Lifeline via 13 11 14.